Welcome to the Business Chef Podcast, where we learn from the best about the business side of the food service industry. Do you make food? Then let us help you make money doing it. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook, or email us info at businesschef.org. Welcome to the podcast. For those of you who are just joining us, one of the things that I really enjoy is quality of life. And in this business, it can be hard to get that sometimes, which was part of the reason that I looked into healthcare and looked into uh, an avenue of corporate feeding at one point that would allow me some quality of life, but also allow me to be part of the food service industry. Our guest today is one of the most talented people that I know and probably easily the most talented in the healthcare food service realm that I know of. Uh, He spent many years honing his craft and is now taking that and uh, into healthcare and has a mission to really improve food for our patients and for the people that work in healthcare. So without further ado, let me introduce you to a very good friend of mine, uh, somebody that I've worked closely with over the years who I have a lot of confidence in and see as a mentor, Mr. Ron Sabatini. Okay, Chef, let's start with how you got into this business. Many years ago, as a uh, young teenager, I had an opportunity to break into the business for a one-weekend job only with a friend of mine. We were at his home, and his mom came home and reminded him that he was scheduled to work that weekend. He didn't want to go, and I was uh, listening to this conversation, and I raised my hand and said, you know, I'll go. Let's go together. And I found myself three hours later at a very large banquet house doing a what I believe was a political uh, function for 2,100 people. And my job was to feed dirty dishes into two 40-foot-long dish machines. And somehow in that weekend where I worked actually Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, I just fell in love with the, the, uh, the idea of feeding this huge group all these different meals and watching all the people in this kitchen as I did my job, which was be the dishwasher. Uh, but watching the people in white and the chef is what really grabbed my attention. I spent as much time as I could watching this man bark orders through a bullhorn and seeing fleets of people and food move upon his commands. And I believe my infatuation with this business started then. I was probably just about 14 years old, and I'm that old that uh, that's the time before working papers were really required. Um, and that's kind of where I got started. I worked that whole weekend. It was, uh, it was a very busy time, and, and I'd never seen a professional dishwasher before, then alone two of them side by side, 40 foot long each. It was uh, an amazing time uh, for me of learning and, and um, socializing with all these people that work there. That uh, weekend led to the facility asking me that I want to come back the following weekend and do it again. And I did that for quite a few weekends. During my downtime on the dish machine, I found myself always gravitating to where the guys in the white coats were. Um, And I I found myself getting in trouble for being there so often. 
uh, by the staff and the sous chef who wanted me back in the dish room, but I was just infatuated with these guys cooking. And the more I went over there, the more I was noticed. Um, eventually, they asked me what I like to do food prep in the cold room and, and, and start to uh, become part of the team there on weekends around my school schedule. That's exactly where I really got started, uh, bought my first knife, cutting 12 and 15 cases of iceberg a day and 10 cases of romaine and 20 cases of tomatoes, doing mostly salad and cold ice cream parfait prep every weekend for many months after that. That was the start of my career. Um, as I as I progressed through that facility and started looking at different options within the educational system, I found that I could go to a vo-technical school as well as my high school and take food prep. And this further fed my interest and, and my need for more information and, and to learn. And I pursued that throughout high school. I was in food preparation at a vo-tech, which was a great class and course and made up half my school day every day for two years. My last year, I was actually allowed to work at a restaurant um, full-time, leaving high school at 11.30 in the morning and being at the restaurant by 12.30 and getting out at 8 o'clock at night. And that's how I fulfilled my scholastic requirement through this work program at a restaurant. You know, in, in hearing you talk about this and in listening to you, I realized how similar our backgrounds were, which is crazy to me because I kind of felt like I was the only one that went that route, which obviously I wasn't. But uh, anyway, very interesting start, and I think a lot of people can identify with that. So what were the next steps for you, uh, and about what time period was this? So in 1981, I was a senior in high school, and... Um, started looking at apprenticeship programs and understanding what the further education opportunities in front of me were between culinary school, the American Culinary Federation, which was something I was just beginning to learn about. I've been an active member of the ACF since 1981. The ACF largely helped to format and, and form a plan for me uh, in my culinary uh, direction. And I was placed once I joined uh, the ACF and enrolled in Culinary College and, and uh, Buck County Community College, then I was placed with a French chef in a French-owned and managed hotel in Northeast Philadelphia. It was a Hilton property, but owned by the French and run in a very French fashion. And I was uh, assigned to uh, a French chef named Michel Four, and Michel was a man who had arrived in this country in 69, and I became his apprentice. And I raced through the ranks of that kitchen and worked extremely hard. I put in, you know, at that time I was now out of regular school and into what I consider the beginning of my college years, um, completing two years of a three-year apprenticeship with Michelle at that hotel. One weekend, probably about a year into my employ, he took me onto the back dock and he handed me a six-prong chipper and an ice block that had been tempering for two hours. Much uh, I had no idea that I was going to be into this today. And uh, he handed me that and said, we need a boat to serve shrimp in for this buffet tonight. And I, I had watched different people do ice carvings on the back dock, and I was always infatuated with that. But 
never fathomed myself at that point doing it. That was the first ice car I had ever done. And instead of a boat, it looked more like a clamshell, I think, when I was done with it. It certainly didn't look like a boat to me, but the chef made sure that we used it anyway and we decorated it accordingly and made it look better than it was by itself on display, filled it with shrimp. And that was my first ice carving. Later in my career, I hooked up and, and started carving more and more ice as an executive chef. And um, once I broke out of hotels and restaurants and got into healthcare, my first healthcare job was a retirement community, a very elite and extravagant retirement community. So I, I brought the whole concept of ice carvings on buffets and holidays to that facility and really started doing more and more ice. Later throughout my career, I actually owned and operated an ice carving business uh, with a colleague, uh, a fantastic carver. We competed around the country and in the uh, NICA circuit for ice carvings, and we did an awful lot of carvings every week. Mostly it was those bridal pieces for those brides-to-be and their mothers um, is what kind of fed our business. We, we both had full-time jobs, of course, and the ice carving was an extra, you know, full-time job on top of that. Ice carving certainly opened up a whole other avenue for me. Uh, later in my career, I actually taught at Pentec uh, College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, where I taught Carve Manger, and ice carvings was one of the main um, uh, topics of the program, as well as vegetable carvings and, and buffet displays and whatnot. So I, 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 you know, the things that I learned as a young man, as we do in this field, kind of carries forward throughout my career and, you know, eventually got me on different plateaus and levels of comfort uh, to the point where I was actually able to teach others what I had learned and uh, the craft that I had become, you know, somewhat of a master of. So I'm really curious, though, how you go from becoming this, this artisan ice carver with your own business um, into really pursuing a passion in healthcare because you are arguably one of the most uh, high-profile chefs in the healthcare industry. So I'm curious how you got into that and, and why. You know, it's an interesting little story. Uh, my mother ran a doctor's office. One of her patients was uh, a gentleman by the name of Larry Conti. Larry Conti was an icon in the American Culinary Federation for 40 years. Larry was the president of the Delaware Valley Chefs Association for what had to be 25 or 30 years. I did not know Larry Conti, but my mother did. And I was uh, working, I was working at a restaurant and, um, Yes, I was working in a restaurant, and my mother got a call from Larry Conti, who had been talking with my mom over the years about me and my little career in food service and becoming a chef and wanting all this. And and Larry had an opening, a temporary opening that he needed filled for a period of time to be about six or eight weeks. Apparently, the sous chef of this retirement community, while doing a chicken demonstration, almost cut his whole thumb off. Um, and they asked, uh, they were looking for someone to be the sous chef under a German chef there to continue to keep quality together as the sous chef was going to be out of work for quite a long time. I wound up taking that temporary position because by then I realized that 
this world of culinary arts and becoming a chef, while wonderful and, and with great glory and honor, was very demanding of time. Weekends and holidays are the most of what the hospitality culinary world works. And I was certainly paying my dues and never gave it a second thought. But when I start to hear about these other jobs that are culinary in healthcare and educational food services, these were much different work weeks. The length of day, the time of day, the days off, the civilized working atmosphere, these were all very attractive to me because by this time I'm eight, nine years in from my childhood and grinding away 60, 70, 80 hours a week in these different jobs, I started to wonder what it was like on the other side. When I started the retirement community as a temp sous chef or as a replacement for the sous chef that was there, I just saw this wonderful world of healthcare food service, a world I had no knowledge of, and was intrigued with the, the residents, the people in the dining room, 200 people, very wealthy with successful lives, now living in this retirement community and all of their needs and meals and housing were provided. And the foods that these people who, you know, had led illustrious careers and business owners, they wanted fine dining. They wanted good food. So we had great food and fine dining in the dining room with table-side service in the main dining room. Meanwhile, on the skilled side of the facility, what is what we know now to be long-term care, the progression of residents actually led them to this other part of the facility where they got older and more sick. Uh, as they got closer to the end of their lives. And then the therapeutic diets and the the reality of healthcare food service really showed its, its uh, respectfully, it reared its ugly little head to me in that I saw a segment of the industry that needed vast improvement. And with the culinary skills that I put together to that point, I felt that, this was a segment that I could have a real impact on. And I started with things like purees and just doing them completely differently. You know, the Frenchman had us pureeing broccoli and typing it on the plates to make it look beautiful as a fine dining attribute. Meanwhile, these patients with therapeutic pureed diets were getting puddles of liquid that, uh, were barely the consistency of mashed potatoes. So I began to apply some of the skill sets of fine dining into the healthcare atmosphere. And with that whole mantra moving forward, I went from area to area within that institution, that retirement community, and really just readdressed all of the recipes and all the service levels of delivering meals to patients, both in the dining room and in the long-term care facility. I found um, the, the residents were very appreciative. They knew my name. Um, they recognized the changes that I was uh, putting in place and appreciated them. And I realized that there's a whole industry out there of healthcare food service that's crying for change, that's overly clinical and way under culinary for what it should be for good food. I remember those days. I remember those days having conversations, almost arguments with dietitians about the scrutiny and the severity and the strictness of the different diets. 
and have a lack of seasonings and presentation levels of those foods on the plate were affecting the residents' desire to eat and and eat with their eyes first and enjoy the food second. They were making decisions with their eyes before even tasting foods. And when they tasted the foods with the extremely bland diet, two gram, low sodium, finding ways to bring food flavors to the surface without using salt became my next real hard approach towards making things better in that arena. And I spent five and a half years, ultimately, I went from a temp to a full-time sous chef and not that long at all after I was the executive chef in that facility because of the accomplishments and the strides I was making. And I was there for five and a half years. And when I left that facility, I broke from retirement communities into acute care hospitals. Started doing the same types of approaches in acute care that I had done in long-term residential care. Um, And I've been, since then, it was 20 plus, 25 years plus in healthcare food services between contract management and self-operated facilities. I was able to learn a great deal as a self-operated fellow in in healthcare food service. And then I took my first job back in the day with a company called Marriott Management Services, a division of Marriott Corporations that managed healthcare and educational food service. Marriott Management Services had acquired a company prior to that called Saga, and that's all they did at the time. And upon joining Marriott Management Services, I got my second real tune-up of my life, and these folks and their standards and their criteria of standard operating procedures made me a better healthcare culinarian and manager. And I began to learn much better management techniques and standards of operation and huddles and training of staff because of the criteria of management, uh, management services. So that's what brought me to a great career in both contract and self-op in healthcare food services. And ultimately, I wound up at some very large facilities, the last of which, prior to becoming a healthcare food services coach and consultant, was a seven-and-a-half-year uh, spent of time at Penn State College of Medicine, the Milton S. Hershey Medical Center. Um, and we moved mountains there together with that team, put a lot of changes in place, went from $6,000 a day retail money to $22,000 a day, redesigned much of the facility, the kitchen, our retail outlets. Um, and I kind of ended my operational career in healthcare food services with that facility. So then after your career with Hershey Medical Center, you then transitioned into what I think a lot of people would really like to do or really like to get into, which was consulting. And that has obviously set you up to kind of where you are today. So tell us about that journey. How did you make that transition from day-to-day operations into consulting? I was hired with a company uh, off the West Coast called DMNA, and they asked me to be a consultant coach for them in healthcare food services based upon my reputation. And I left the facility I was working, and my start date was confirmed. And the next thing I know, I'm standing in a kitchen I've never been in in Vineland, New Jersey. I've been asked to come there to foster change for the better with a four-day window to get it done. 
I felt a lot of pressure and anxiety prior to getting there and had reviewed what my approach would be time and time again prior to walking through the door, not knowing what I was walking into. And that's one of the most interesting aspects of consulting and fostering change for the better food service improvements in facilities as a, as a consultant. You don't know what you're walking into, and you really need to be prepared for any scenario and every scenario. The one thing that the owner of the company that I used to work for shared with me that I carry to this day was rule number one, make them like you and make them love you as soon as possible. And I didn't know exactly what he meant by that until I had to put it into motion. And I go in the door as the most likable person possible, realizing that the food service team who I'm going to ask to make changes will be against changing anything so that I'd have to show them why the changes, what the results are, and how I can make this better for them and the people receiving their food. It's, it's um, you know, the clock is always ticking as a consultant. When you're charging a client dollars $1,800, $2,200 a day for a consultant to be on property, I took that very personal that I need to be delivering that value times three on a daily basis. Whatever it is I'm doing there, I better be worth it or I won't be asked back. The changes that I'm being asked to make won't be effective, and the company that hired me will not continue to get jobs. Furthermore, I felt if I do share responsibility to those clients to fulfill and exceed their expectations with deliverables. So, Often, especially in my first couple few years, while being dispatched or assigned to a particular product in a particular facility in a particular state or city with a very particular set of deliverables or goals, my approach was always to exceed the deliverables that they were expecting and give them more as much as I could. Now, that wasn't always the best company approach in that I was giving them more than they were paying for but I attributed to a value-added approach, which kept me in the good graces of the clients, which kept the company I was working for in the good graces of the clients. Um, you know, we were, we were directing at a director's level, making changes from director-level procedures and how they went about their daily day, right down to how the dishwashers make changes in their facilities, and that is much of... Uh, similar to the work that I do to this day. You know, you're going to affect change on a great many people in a facility to either change a the venue of the style of service or creating new menus or creating new recipes or action stations or patient specials. You're affecting the amount of work that others have to do. Rarely is that met with open arms and a welcome uh, audience. So, you need to be aware of those pieces right up front. Um, people ask me, when people ask me questions like you've just asked, Chef, one of the things that I tell people who want to be chefs, if I didn't get a particular course that I think was necessary in food services in my college education, which was Johnson Wales uh, Culinary in Rhode Island, it's psychology. Nowhere in my, in, my, um, in my schooling 
in the program that Johnson Wells offered then or now, are there any psychology classes? And while you don't need psychology to cook, getting human beings to do something differently than what they've been doing, asking them to work harder or do things differently, is very much a human psychology um, piece that, that I wasn't educated in. And you can't just walk in and bark orders like, you know, our forefathers in this industry used to do. So I've said this to many people before. I wish I had some psychology classes because really came very natural to me. I was a fat kid from Philadelphia, and I'm Italian, right? So food was close to all of our hearts no matter what. So cooking was easy for me, any style, any type. Dealing with the human beings to foster change is where I felt the most rub or the most pushback. And I've become an expert at how to deal with people, uh, self-taught. But if there was a class that I think that would help people, young culinarians that might be coming up to the ranks today, a side class for them, a great move for them would be to take a psychology course and learn a little more about human behaviors and how to foster change in human behaviors because to this day that is the one piece that continues to give a little rub and a little pushback and, and requires significant caressing. You know, it's very interesting that you bring those points up because I, for one, have always felt like our culinary schools in particular train us in the skills that we need maybe physically, but there is a lot of things from a management standpoint and things that maybe we're lacking in a little bit. Um, and at the end of the day, a business is a business, whether it's food service or retail or whatever, and you need to have certain skills and certain uh, pieces of knowledge to enable you to be successful in business, not just food. So with that said, you've helped hundreds of clients all over the world um, as part of DMNA, and then um, obviously some unexpected things happened. I lost my job December 27th, 2017, um, 2016, my apologies, uh, much to my surprise, as a um, kind of the director of culinary for DMNA. Uh, the company decided to go in a different direction, and I was not going to be part of that new direction. And for the next few weeks, and, and you know, for those people listening, you will lose jobs. You will get terminated. You will quit jobs. You will want to quit jobs. And it's, it's, um, it's a hard thing to go through, but you pick yourself up and you move forward with what you know and what you're capable of. So after some time alone in my home, basically unemployed, I started to think of all of the things that I've done around the world and in all the facilities that I've been in in this country, what was hundreds of clients and had done a great job with almost all of them all of the time. And I realized and got my own confidence back underneath my feet because when you lose a job or you get terminated or you're asked to resign or something like that, for whatever reason, you, your confidence in who you are and what you do is absolutely removed. And people don't know that until they go through it. And it's a painful thing to survive and go through. But 
dwelling on who I was and what got me to that point and where I was and what my next move was going to be, I, I realized I am an absolute expert in this industry, and there's maybe a handful of people in this country that know what I know and can do what I can do the way I do it. And looking on the Internet and talking to my colleagues and being at all the different conferences over all these years, I've seen many different people out there running consulting businesses. So let's fast forward to today. Um, actually, let's back up. February 2017, I got serious and said, I'm going to work for myself. And I got an employee identification number and wound up going through the processes of, you know, potentially building a website and getting ready to maybe launch this whole concept. The concept that I was dreaming about, was thinking about building, is now a reality for me. And www.healthcareculinary.com will bring you to my website. I own and operate. I'm the operating manager of a company called Healthcare Culinary Consulting International. And it's exactly what I've been doing for the last 10 years, only now I'm doing it for myself as my own employer, so to speak, self-employed. And I'm actually already bringing in independent contractors. You know, much to my uh, satisfaction, I have a very good reputation in the industry and lots of people that realize that I can help them. And I have been operating now in this last, you know, seriously 10 months, um, this small company under my own self-employed. And I have been to Abu Dhabi and have more work scheduled in 2018 with Abu Dhabi. Uh, a room service contract was just signed there, and I'll be heading that up. I have work in the Pacific and the Hawaiian Islands. I have work around the United States with individual clients from my past or in my last year where people have they called me instead of maybe another. Um, and I also have some corporation work in that a major company, um, uh, a service equipment company, is, is providing me with four days or more a month to help them with different pieces of their equipment and processes and implementation. So I am painfully employed. I am my own boss. Um, I share, I share uh, with independent contractors some of those responsibilities as needed. And I'm doing very well. I'm not making yet the kind of money that I was used to. But I see that 2018 is going to be a very different year for me. And I couldn't be happier about how this has all shaken out here over the last year. Um, it's, it's been very interesting. It's been humbling, to say the least. Um, you know, you do some soul searching. You get sad. You get depressed. Then you get mad. And then you get going. And... uh you know, the same driving enthusiasm and initiatives that brought you to the point of, uh, uh, of being a great culinary and a great manager start to come back out of you and you move forward. And this is what I've done this year. It's been very exciting, a little scary. Um, you know, there's no, uh, there's no steady paycheck. Um, the taxes are not being taken out by the government. All these things you need to figure out on your own. Uh, so, it's been an interesting year of transition, but what I think I found most rewarding this year is standing at a number of different properties on a number of different continents 
and there were a number of different states and cities in this country in this year of self-employed, the things that I know that I am able to foster change for the better for these facilities is something that no one can take away from me. And I am the expert in healthcare food services, and I have a great deal to teach and coach and share with people to make healthcare food service better for the masses. And largely, Chef Sean, this has been my career goal was to make healthcare food service food and service better for patients, residents, and the like in that it's not a restaurant and it's not a hotel. And those, those segments of the industry had such a bad, and still to this day in some cases, have such a bad reputation, I am able to foster the change to fix that and make it better for others. Well, despite all the ups and downs, it sounds like you've landed on your feet or are continuing to land on your feet. So given all that you've been through in your life and your career, what advice would you like to give the rising generation of culinarians, particularly when it comes to getting into healthcare, possibly? I think it's important to tell the young culinarians that may be on the podcast, and they need to hear this. The commitment in the first five years upon completion of school is incredibly grueling and necessary. You need to know that every weekend and holiday of your life will be at work. And while others are at play, you will be at work learning your craft and becoming a better culinarian and a better manager in culinary arts and food preparation and the whole stepping as it is uh, in the industry, in the hospitality industry. You need to know that that minimum three to five years after culinary, you're not going to make a lot of money at all. You're still learning your trade and your craft. You're still becoming a master at what you do. And if you're not ready to make that commitment, then it might not be the best career path for you. Step Sean, between you and I, we know thousands of chefs, but how many chefs do we know that were chefs their whole life and retired as chefs? And this is because, in my mind, the business is grueling. It's demanding. It's very demanding of your time, your energy. It creates high stress levels. There's highs and lows. Um, it's a very demanding business. It's a very competitive business. Um, I think the cooking shows, which are many, have done a great job with glorifying this craft, this thing we do, and make it look very exciting to the point where Children at home are watching these cooking shows and want to be chefs because of the cooking show. But the cooking show is not showing them the grueling path that it often takes with low pay and long hours and uh, long years honing your skills uh, in the craft and the trade craft of culinary art. So I want to say to the podcast listeners, understand what you're getting into. And if you really have the passion inside you, then go for it like there's no tomorrow. But understand what you're going to face. You're going to have quite a few years after you spend sixty or eighty thousand dollars of your parents' money in culinary school. You've got to pay your dues, and your dues will be turning vegetables and working in the stock kitchens and working in the sauce kitchens and roasting meat, learning the different items of sauté and creating your own dishes and following other people's rules and regulations and menus and recipes for quite a few years 
until you're able to stand up on your own two feet. That's part of the business, and that's the part of the business that's actually failing us now is that the glorification of what we do on the cooking shows is giving people a, a wrong direction or perception of what it takes to get the TV. The people that have made it to TV have already paid their dues and are at that level and moving forward. Now, let me answer the other part of the question that I'd like to touch on uh, uh, respectfully, Seth, and that is healthcare versus hospitality or education versus hospitality. I, my fiance is a registered dietitian who works for Aramark Corporation. He is the number three um, person in the food service department serving 60,000 meals a week at Bloomsburg University. That segment is referred to as educational food service. And it's massive. It's every college in the country. It's some private prep schools and high schools. It's huge. Think about the colleges and how many of them are out there and the different private schools that are out there and how many mouths get fed a day in educational food service. Think about healthcare food service, long-term care facilities, nursing homes, retirement communities, acute care facilities, hospitals, academic teaching hospitals. Millions and millions and millions of meals every day are served in these segments, and these segments are not restaurants or hotels. Now, why maybe these segments and not hospitality and restaurants? I firmly believe that anyone going to culinary school that has the passion and the love for this field needs to attend culinary school and needs to get in the hospitality industry for three to five years. I highly recommend upon completion of your two- or three-year culinary degree that you get your management degree right behind it. Do not break back into the industry because you want to go cook and have fun and, and, and work and make money. Get the management while you're in school. Get your four-year degree out of the way. Once that's done, I highly, highly recommend you find a five-star resort, either on this continent or on another, and spend two to three years in that resort learning the different foods in the class and the trade of fine dining and great food. Once you have your education, your degree, and good experience in a really well-put-together facility that's serving great food and you've learned all the jobs, now I think you have something to offer the industry. And at that point, you have to ask yourself the question, I'm working 50 to 70 hours a week right now, six and seven days a week. Is this what I want to do the rest of my life? And will I get to the point where I'm the executive chef and for everything in this hospitality industry? And am I willing to put in these kinds of hours and maybe not to get the kind of benefits that are out there? Is this what a snapshot of the rest of my life looks like? And if it is, and there are many country club chefs, hotel chefs, restaurant chefs who would never, not ever, walk into a healthcare facility whatsoever. They live for the glory and the honor of the position and being the chef. My situation, a little different. Call me selfish or spoiled, but I wanted Ron time. And I have to be honest with you, in the hospitality industry, there wasn't a lot of Ron time. There was doing my laundry, getting up early, going to work, working 12 and 14 hours a day, falling out of work, 
maybe going out a little bit, waking up the next day tired and doing this over and over and over again. The glory and the honor and the excitement of being an executive chef in a hotel was absolutely wonderful and very fulfilling. But can you see yourself at that pace, at that rate every day for 30 years? This is the question that started to haunt me. I started looking at my friends, people who worked 40-hour work weeks. My father worked a 40-hour work week for the government with a one-hour lunch break. This in at 8, now at 4.30 every day. You could set a clock by it. No point at that time in my life was any day that short or that regimented. And I started realizing that everyone I went to school with in high school and everyone else who I knew and met up to that point and all the people I was feeding while they were off having fun and I was working had very different lives than I did. My life was about my career and about working hard and learning my craft. I began, once introduced to what healthcare offered, I began to want more for ROM. For the first time in many years, I was less concerned about learning more about my craft and trade, um, less concerned about the honor and the glory that came with it, a wonderful 50-foot buffet with ice carvings all over the place and garbage work and people going ooh, ah, ooh over me and food. I started looking for a Friday night off, a Saturday to go see with friends. These are things I never had before. So here's the closure of that answer. The difference in healthcare, education, corporate food service. Typically, you're not going to make as much money per year per se, but you're going to have much, much better benefits. You're going to typically work a five-day work week and not be expected to do six or seven. There's a human resource department in these facilities where there's rarely one of those in hotels and restaurants that has any meaning at all. There's rules and regulations and how people are to be treated and mandates and regimentation of the psychology, the human part of those businesses, taking care of employees. Um, the benefits, the length of day, the work week, and the ability that when you're done, you can walk out of there and kind of be done and not worry about the breakfast cook tomorrow morning at 4.30, or at least not worry as much about him. I found for me, Chef, that being in one of the side industries, what is healthcare for me and educational for many that I know, and corporate for many more that I know, these guys went out, went to school, honed their trading craft skills in the industry. When I say that, I mean the hospitality industry. Then they took what they knew and they found a way to make it work for them in a different service style, different level of industry, different segment, and found a way to make it all work for them. Working five-day work weeks, many people having dinner with their families every night at their kitchen table, leaving on a Friday night and coming back on a Sunday afternoon with the family because you're off on the weekend or every other weekend or you work one weekend every four. Look at corporate food service. What a blast. You're in at six. You're out at two. They're closed on weekends and holidays. And you've got a high budget for food. You're feeding lawyers and corporate people and executives and they don't mind buying land shops at twelve ninety five for lunch and you know, very different types of food budgets in corporate food service versus educational and healthcare. But the other segments, by and large, 
offer a much greater level of human civilization in your own life. Now, that's my opinion, and this is what I've learned to be true in the industry. Again, my opinion, um, it's a more civilized atmosphere. But to say it out loud, Chef, I don't think that you can be as successful or as impactful until you've been to culinary, spent time in the industry, hospitality, owned your skills, and then take that package, or what I call take that act, to these other segments of the industry, and you will flourish. You'll flourish. You'll be appreciative. You'll be appreciated. That's a big piece. The level of appreciation that you get in these other segments is often shared with you, and you can see it and feel it. And I think that, for me, is a strong piece versus the hospitality industry where, let's face it, sometimes these chefs get chewed up and spit out. And the level of appreciation, job satisfaction, job well done, those feelings are never cultivated or or experienced. And I've experienced the better side of all of those things in my what is probably 28 years, 27 years in operations in healthcare food service. Well, I can safely say that you've given us all a lot to think about, especially those young culinarians coming up through the ranks and even those who maybe considered healthcare but dismissed it. I think there's more to it than meets the eye. If someone were to want to reach out to you, uh, is that a possibility? Any young culinarian or somebody or their parents looking for more information or more opinions or looking to speak to somebody about what it takes to succeed, um, I want to make myself available to them. Okay. What's the best way to get a hold of you? My email is chefronsab at gmail.com. My phone number, 610-972-8983. And the website for my company, www.healthcareculinary.com. Chef, thank you so much for your time today. You are an incredibly busy guy, and we really appreciate all the knowledge that you've imparted. Any last words of advice or encouragement you'd like to give? You know, one last note. Um, As we come up through the ranks in these kitchens, we learn a lot from everybody who we work with and speak with and work for. Um, And I've always believed strongly putting back into the kettle what I took out. And I, I, I could not be happier providing your audience with my contact information because in my mind, that's all about giving back what I took out all those years ago as I was learning and honing my, my craft. So it's my pleasure. That's my man. Thanks, Ron. Thank you very much, Chef Sean. Have a great day, sir. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Be sure to share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, or anyone who's interested in making food and money. And when you get a second, give us a review. It really helps us get the word out as well as letting us know how we're doing. Want to connect with us? Check us out at Make Food Make Money on Instagram or Facebook. Or email us, info at businesschef.org. 
This Business Chef podcast was brought to you by the Culinary Technology Fund. To find out more about how you can make a difference in the lives of culinarians as well as creating a more sustainable food service industry, email us info at businesschef.org with Culinary Technology Fund in the subject line.